It's the second cup of Joe and John with Joe Elvis and John Dwyer. Live worldwide in all counties all over the globe from the JTG International Studio in East Nashville, the loft. We feel so big, sort of. In, in, in a great room with some great folks this morning. Greetings, it's Joe Elvis. As we do come live to you from East Nashville, and John, uh, we're, we're rolling into summer, but it's not summer yet. We're getting some mid-90s temperatures, and I always equate this time of year with uh, what's on the TV in sports. So we have the hockey uh, playoffs pushing to the Stanley Cup, and the NBA finals are just in gear, and baseball, which will never end, uh, is on now. And so I was talking to my sons who we are a hockey family. We love hockey, which is why today's conversation is going to be so great with our guest. Uh, but I personally grew up in Delaware. I grew up 20 minutes from Philadelphia. So mid seventies, uh, being a 58 year old guy, it was nothing but the Phillies and the Steve Carlton, uh, Bob Boone, Tug McGraw, Mike uh, Schmidt, Mike Schmidt, Greg Luzinski, the Bull, Pete era. Rose, and Pete 80, Rose yeah. when they won the series. Yeah. Uh, got to see Dr. J play for the 76ers. The Eagles sucked. They wore the white helmets with the green wings. Uh, Roman Gabriel was even our quarterback uh, at that time. Holds an NFL record for most fumbles in a game. <laughs> Six, I believe, see, is the record. It probably when he was in Philadelphia, not Los Angeles. Yeah. And so for years and years... I went to Vet Stadium to the Phillies games as a young kid with my glove, ready to catch the foul ball. Fast forward years later, I've had probably several beers on the golf course with my wife. We went up with her family, who's also from Delaware. That's a different story. I'm sitting there in the eighth inning, half paying attention to the game. Whack. Here comes the ball. Wow. It's coming near us. One bounce right into my beer cup. You're so kidding me. Years and years. You're of, that guy. Years and years of sitting in Vet Stadium, wishing and praying for a ball to come my way from Mike Schmidt or Greg Luzinski. And, and or what, Dave what Cash. young, what young woman or man, <laughs> what what kid did you give it to, Joe? Nothing. I took it from my you own. Not, no, you did not. No. Little kids are all around me. Give me the ball, please. I've never had one. Just like me and, when and I then was you young. Flipped them off. God, God, get away you're from that me. guy. Get away from me, kid. You're that guy. I was Karma. That guy. <laughs> That's so funny. Did but, you? Uh, and uh, I remember watching on Sundays. It seemed like the Philadelphia Flyers and Blackhawks were always on the Sunday game of the week, and it was. It was the Broad Street Bullies with Terry Crisp and uh, Bobby Clark and those guys. Do you remember was. that? Yeah. Uh, Bernie Perrant. Bernie Perrant. Yeah. Uh, Ed Van Imp. Uh, you had uh, Bill Barber on the wing, yeah, and Bobby Clark was the centerman with no teeth whatsoever in the front, no, no helmets, and no helmets, yeah. no advertising on the boards around the side. Uh, Dave Schultz was the absolute punisher, and if the Flyers were behind, they just beat the hell out of you. And then for some reason that in- ignited them, and they came back. Uh, but I was up in Delaware when the Flyers won their first Stanley Cup, and on the air was uh, was Gene Hart and Don Earl. Were the, were the voices of the Flyers. And on the uh, TV for the Phillies and radio, 1510 WDEL, I listened at night on my AM radio, you had Harry Callis and Richie Ashburn. I, are you, you're about, you're, your eyes are getting moist right it, now. You're uh, getting it. It was the greatest yeah. era of sports broadcasting ever. And I still have my MAB Paints 
Philadelphia Flyers call when they uh, make those records after the season and they replay all the games. Well, I was so Gene Hart and Don Earl were the absolute, especially Gene Hart was just the best of creating energy and excitement. And it wasn't until our team, the Nashville Predators took over and I heard this man's voice that I got reignited with that fever and that flair and that I don't even know what's going on, but I want to be a part of it. Yeah. So that brings us to our guest today. Eight-time Tennessee Sportscaster of the Year. More stories than we could ever fill podcasts with. We could fill them all year long and have them on um, all the time. But let's get right to it. Pete Weber is in the house, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. And literally, I am in the house. You are, yes. you are in the house. Thank you, you are very in, much. Yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> My description of the global studio was pretty yes. accurate, Pete. Yes. Wasn't it enormous? It certainly Thank was. you so, so much for taking time to do this. I know you get pulled, uh, as I would like to say, your cape gets pulled in a lot of different directions. Uh, unfortunately, we're doing this in uh, on the cusp of June, where typically we'd like to not be able to accept this invitation because you'd be working calling Predators games. But uh, just a real welcome, and thank you for being here. Very happy to have gotten the invitation. And I just wanted to know one thing about that pantheon of Philadelphia sportscasters. Yes. Where does Bill Campbell rank? Oh, nice. Yep. Well, see, you know, I was... Uh, I'll just be over here, guys, okay? I, was, I just, just... You just listen, have your little Philly inside chat. You can talk about Jack Brickhouse and all the other yes, ones that you listen to in, uh, in Chicago. Um, you know, I, it was my era discovery. So I, I was probably 11 or 12 at this age, and I would have sworn to you I'd still be playing second base for the Philadelphia Phillies. So Not Mickey Morandini. Right. No. So... <laughs> Um, it was an era of discovery, like a lot of musicians will listen to Philadelphia radio, like Daryl Hall, John Oates and such, and then become part of that music scene. And so for me, later being a broadcaster in, in rock radio, it just was one of those eras that you're fortunate to be around and be yeah. formed by listening to some of your mentors. So who were your mentors? Going up? across the dial at yeah. night, uh, yeah. my brother, 10 years older, left me with his college tabletop Zenith radio. And most of the sports back in the 60s and the 70s were on 50,000-watt stations. Mm -hmm. So I'd go across the dials at Blow night. torches, as oh, we yeah. call them. Oh, yeah. And I, and I was pretty consistently drawn to KMOX and the voices of Harry Carey and Jack Buck. Mm -hmm. And on occasion, Joe Garagiola and uh, Buddy Blattner and those people coming through there. And I'm going, boy, are these guys having fun? Then I found out they were getting paid to have fun. <laughs> so I thought that's something I ought to pursue if I could. You know, I remember um, 10 years old, an AM radio that, that my parents got, uh, each one of us, uh, four kids, we got the same radio. She just knocked out the same Christmas gift. <laughs> and I would sneak the radio underneath my pillow, and I would flip the dial, and what, what do you call it, skip, right? Yes. Uh, it, it's, so I could get KMOX. Yep. I could get Bob Prince. I could listen to the Pirates. Uh, I could listen to the Tigers, the White Sox. Uh, How about the twins? WCCO couldn't. I don't know if I really remember getting getting them, but I, I remember my dad coming in to say good night, and I would crush my head down. As, <laughs> and he knew darn well, yeah, that I had the radio on. Yeah, but I was just living life. It was so magical to listen to those broadcasts, and you, yeah, and, yes. and then all of a sudden you you got KMOX, and you're like, you know. So I grew up. Um, 
Cubs fan, 90 miles east of, yeah. of Chicago and South Bend. So that was kind of, and we had WGN with Jack Brickhouse. We had, you know, that Irv was Cubs before. Jack Brickhouse you, on the Bears. Yeah, it, it, the Bears. And yep. and it was, uh, so that was, you know, some of our, our memories and all that. But um, when did you know, did you always know that you were going to be a broadcaster and get paid to do it? No, I thought I was going to be a teacher coach. Okay. And uh, then when I got to Notre Dame and worked at the campus station, <laughs> then known as WSND, uh, I got taken up in it all. Yeah, you did. And uh, I, so I went overseas for my sophomore year of college, majored in modern languages. I was in, uh, I was a German, going to teach German and coach. And uh, all of a sudden this other thing sort of came into my life. Well, the other thing is among his early starts was, Typically, to call a hockey game is is extremely difficult, and you got among your starts calling Notre Dame hockey games. Right, yeah? right, and uh, and they were good back then. I mean, they yeah. they're good anyway. But they were that they was a, seven that was a draft fun choices time. on my first team. That was a fun seven team. draft choices. Wow. So, and that was in the era uh, early to mid seventies when the NHL did not look fondly upon college hockey players coming in. So, I, I guess that makes them stand out even more. So you made stops um, like anybody going up the broadcast chain. You you work in several towns and you have several jobs. And I know Buffalo is and uh, the Seattle SuperSonics yes. uh, one time. Um, uh, and sure you, was strange and, this last year going into the same building where I worked Sonics to have the Predators and the Kraken. Kraken, the Kraken, and how much that had changed. Yeah, because they had pulled up that uh, classic roof of the old Seattle Center Coliseum and gone 30 feet below surface and changed everything in that building. That was incredible to me. You know, you are, there is nobody uh, that has the um, encyclopedia knowledge, um, your sharp wit, your stories. Uh, you remember everything. There is no rival for you, Pete. I don't and, know about that. Now, and, 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 and What's I need my to wife's s- name again? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Dear Claudia. And she's put up with... Um, I don't know if she's put up with you. I think you guys, have, you're, you, you guys are so well meant for each other. But um, I just want to... You never have a bad day. You never... You, I, I, I've never had or listened to you think, you know, man, he's... He's off tonight. You do you understand just how unbelievably consistent and passionate you are, and the reputation you have not only here but nationally and globally? Bring the passion, says Terry Crisp. Yeah, and I think that's something that uh, we picked up from each other, actually. So I, I, that's just the way I approach my job, which is really my vocation is my avocation as well. So uh, for as I speak to. Jobs for Tennessee graduates. I guess that's a pretty good message. It is. In that era of my Philadelphia story, also on that team was a big Afroed Terry Crisp. Yes, and Uh, by the way, the first Afro in Philadelphia sports. (laughs) He was there before Dr. J. Uh, Crispy was traded there in the middle of the 72-73 season from the Islanders, and Dr. J didn't come forth until 76. Oh, that's a great story. Years later, so uh, when I was doing afternoon radio here in Nashville at 105.9 The Rock, Terry was with you, and uh, you guys still white hot, just getting in your groove. Terry came over and was on the radio show, 
and was just brilliant. And I brought out, I have all my pictures from those days, still all the, every out, uh, the, you know, the programs that you'd get at the first of the season. Okay. And so I pulled out the pictures and it had his big, huge monster Afro and just a great, uh, gracious guy and a a tremendous guy. And I have on my Terry crisp shirt right now that uh, Pete was referring to, it says bring the passion and they gave it out. uh, We're seasons tickets holders to the Preds in my house. So they gave it out when Terry retired. Right. And so just talk about your relationship with Terry over the years and what he's meant to you. He's meant everything to me. Uh, and I think he's meant everything uh, to the fans uh, here in Middle Tennessee as well. Uh, he does not remember me interviewing him when he was coaching the Flames or the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, it was like the first time he really met me was our first day of the first training camp, September 12th, 98. And then one week later, we were on the air from the Von Braun Center in Huntsville doing the uh, Patrick Cote meets Peter Worrell of the Florida Panthers, and they had three tussles that night, and uh, that's how it all got started. But we've become uh, great friends. I haven't called him yet today, but we've got a little bit earlier start to it, and he's out west in Canada right now. Uh, so I try to observe that and give him a chance to get a little bit of rest. Particularly, uh, he's probably extraordinarily happy today in light of the fact that he was always on the Calgary side of the Battle of Alberta, that uh, his arch rivals, the, you know, the Edmonton Oilers, lost in game number one of the Western Conference Final last night. And how dear is that rivalry to him? Early in our time together, we were walking down the street in Edmonton to, I think, breakfast or something. And he said, Bubba, you better walk on the other side of the street. And I go, why is that? And he goes, the guy might be a bad shot. <laughs> Just <laughs> as he was considered public enemy number one in the city of Edmonton, right? That's great. <laughs> oh my. The, the the thing that I you know, we try to do this podcast to where are they now or how do they influence Nashville in a business or, or celebrity uh situation, music. Um when I look at the run of um and I'm I'm biased, uh, I'm a Jeff Fisher fan, yeah. uh and and uh his run and then Barry Trotz's run, mm-hmm. but I look at your run and Mike Keith's run. This yeah. this doesn't happen. I mean when you moved to Nashville, I moved in 96. You came in 97, 98. 98 okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. When I, growing up as a broadcaster, I didn't have Nashville circled as one of my top five markets. I suspect you didn't either, although there no. was AAA baseball. And no, you I was familiar with it, it but, because of AAA baseball. Sure, but, but it wasn't. It's a, I, I tell people you want to make God laugh, tell them your plans. Because <laughs> here, here we sit in 2022, you and I, and I'm thinking this is this is a it's an interesting way that that Nashville uh, has has continued to embrace you and and your career. You are such part of the fiber of this sports community. Um, but in '98, you don't think of it in no, those terms, do you? Not at all. I mean, uh, the closest I would have come would have been the rivalry between the Buffalo Bisons and the Nashville Sounds. And I am regularly part of a Monday morning breakfast group with Larry Schmidow. Oh. The sounds founding okay. owner. Yeah. And uh, he always likes to bring up to me if my head is getting a little bit too large, larger than it's seven and seven eighths. Uh, that, uh, that's, quite, that's quite a grape, by the way. Yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> they used to call, Rodney Craig on our Bison Club had the only larger uh, melon, if you will, and they always used to call his batting helmet the bowling ball bag. Uh, so, but in any case... He loves to uh, bring up the 18-inning playoff between Buffalo and Nashville in 1990, 
which uh, Nashville won to take the uh, division championship in the American Association. Did you have Did you have a plan? What was your thoughts? As John just said, you're coming into Nashville, mm-hmm. not really a hockey team, a uh, hockey town, NHL team, and the Preds really did a great job of educating and saying, "Hey." You know, let's learn about the game together. The team struggled at first. What were your thoughts on how am I going to be a leader and promote this team and get interest going in Nashville hockey? Because we had the Nashville Knights right. at that time, which were a minor and league And the Dixie team. Flyers before that. And yes, the right. Nighthawks. Yes. Because yes. I have a Nighthawks jersey. I've got a Knights jersey. Yeah. Sweater. And Sorry. the South Stars. Yeah. And the South Stars. Yeah. That's yeah. Which, so by the way, back. Terry Crisp was supposed to have coached. Oh, it was. They thought it was all set up, but he had already signed his contract to coach a junior team in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. And on that junior team was a guy who was on TNT right now, Rick Tockett. Oh, neat. Uh, yeah, N- Nashville wouldn't have been ready for him. <laughs> he was, it all worked out the way he was supposed Ryan to. Ryan Suter's father played on that South Stars team. That's right. By the way, yeah. his only year pro. But my thought, and I was prepared for it by having been a broadcaster for the Los Angeles Kings. Yes. And that was it. 10 years after that franchise had been established. And I think I probably consumed more rubber chicken and rubber eggs than anybody in Southern California in those three years there going out and trying to spread the hockey gospel. So I figured we had to do the very same thing. And I think we probably had an advantage here in that with the two auto plants in the area, we sort of had the clouds seeded uh, because Jack Kent Cook, who was my first boss in Southern California, said, you know, he figured hockey was going to be an easy sell there. Why? Because there are 350,000 ex-Canadians here. Then he said to me about six, seven months into my run there, he goes, I didn't realize they all moved here because they hated hockey. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but that's that's probably why we had so many Detroit fans at the early games, oh, yeah. because we have GM plants in Spring Hill, Corvette plant up near Bowling Green, right. and uh, that that's a great point. And don't forget, we had a conversion night or conversion series, I think, in our start of our second year. Red Wing fans could bring in caps, pennants, shirts, etc., and we would exchange them for Predator's items. We boxed up all the Detroit stuff, which was about four refrigerator-sized boxes. At our next trip to Detroit, I took them to the Boys and Girls Club in downtown Detroit. Those kids made out. We had the conversion done here without, you know, having a conversion or rally tent going on beforehand. I I also remember, and I think this was, uh, people tend to forget this, but back in those days, your hockey 101 classes yes. were so important because people didn't understand icing and they right. didn't understand it. I, you know, I know Jerry Helper and that connection, uh, long time VP and media relations, community relations. Jerry's, uh, he would constantly get on us in our station, Channel 2. And I had a, a boss who loved hockey. And so we. I think that's fair to we, say. Yeah, we, we covered. I went to the NHL draft. I covered two NHL drafts in uh, Buffalo and Boston, I think, yeah. for the first two years. Now, I don't know any of these players. Right. I can't pronounce their names. <laughs> and so, but my point is, Jerry would say to us, and we gave them as much coverage as we could, but I said, Jerry, until they put laces on a puck in January, you're, you're not going to get the same coverage as football. You're just not. But um, he begrudgingly understood that. But 
your 101 classes uh, really set the foundation for people to really understand the nuances of the game. And, and that's another thing that a lot of te- broadcasters, you put another thing on your plate to have these tutorials to have to teach people the game, which I thought was outstanding. They were fun to do. And I think the most fun was when, as you might recall, the Hanson brothers uh, were a, a Bud Light traveling show. Oh, geez. And so when they came into Nashville, uh, Steve Carlson, the center, number 17, who was listening to the effing song that one night in the movie, uh, he, he was a friend of mine from the Los Angeles Kings days. So I talked with him as they came in that morning, and so we planned they would burst into the classroom in the arena tower. Uh, kind of like they did, if you remember, in Blazing Saddles when they yeah. came into the commissary. Right. They did that, and it, they just took it all over. <laughs> Talk about a movie that couldn't be made today. No. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Nash. Anyway. Our, our Nash sent me an edited version of Blazing Saddles for 2022. It just has the opening before the Frankly, Frankie Lane song. <laughs> it's 37 and then, seconds. And then the guy's riding off into the sunset of the limousine. <laughs> and, that's, and that's it. But they, no, the time you, you you spent with with Crispy to do that, I thought was was uh, was great. How do you uh, on John's point? How do you do your best to know the names? You know, we have some obviously very international players. Yeah. How do you see? How can you tell? I'm amazed as how you can tell who scored and what's going on. I think the hardest thing the NHL's had to battle, and they even highlighted the puck, is seeing the puck yeah. as you're watching the game. How do you pick a? How do you identify and remember the rosters so quickly? And B, how can you tell what's going on way up there in the booth? Because you guys are up pretty high. We are up pretty high, but not as high in Nashville. <laughs> as we are in places like the new building in Edmonton. They told us it was going to be fantastic because it would be great for us. Yes, there's a bathroom up there by the broadcast booth, (laughs) but we are not actually in Edmonton. I think we're in Red Deer, Alberta, (laughs) about halfway between Calgary and Edmonton to try to call the game. You're as high as you can get and as far back against the rear wall as you could get. So oftentimes we need to look at the monitor and just hope the video's not delayed. Yeah, that's true. Because that's a problem That would as be well, awkward. And yeah. can be, not to mention the reverse angle that uh, you oftentimes get. So I'm trying to tell people right wing, and for what I'm seeing, it's on the left wing. Uh, mm. Things like that. But the biggest help to my career, as it turned out, would have been majoring in modern languages yep. and having all the pronunciation basics. Now, some of the guys want to change after they get over here from Europe or elsewhere, how their names are pronounced. Like, uh, for example, Blair Achenham was on that first Predators team. Mm-hmm. So was Vitaly Yashmanev as he started out, but he liked the sound of Blair Achenham's name, so he changed to Yachmanev. We had number three, Marek Zidlitsky. Mm-hmm. Marek Zidlitsky. Marek Zidlitsky. Uh, so it would evolve as time goes on. It's just amazing. You do such a tremendous job, and there is so much energy built. Uh, just the theater of the game itself, and of course, you know when the Preds are playing well, it's tremendous. So you, it's just amazing. We are always commenting in our house. Just what a great call! <laughs> you know, how did he? How could he tell who scored? And and we're like, what's that guy's name? <laughs> and what is it this week? Yes. <laughs> what's his name this week? Yeah. Do you? Uh, do you? enjoy where kind of where media has gone in terms of, you know, having to answer to social media. Um, 
you know, we used to, as a local TV broadcaster, 610, 620 and 1020 was, was relevant and important. Um, it's not so much anymore. Um, you have to answer to an iPhone. You have to answer to Twitter and, and Instagram and so forth. How much involvement do you do with that? Are you engaged with social media? Yes. Do you just begrudgingly do it? Do you see it as an advantage? Is it, you know, I, I look at broadcast standards and sources and it just wasn't, I'm the grouchy old man now, you know, <laughs> that, that, and I don't want to be that guy, but I'm just wondering how you, as you continue to do this, um, approach social media. Twitter has been great for me. Okay. And I enjoy interacting with people there. Uh, I got to tell you, and you probably will recall this. Uh, we were on the air one night years ago and, uh, the, uh, control in Los Angeles spoke to me and said, we have a graphic ready that we're going to put up the next break about the death of Joe Paterno. Mm. And I go, no, we don't. And they go, why? He goes, I just got a tweet from Joe Paterno's son. His father is still with us. So I don't think we should announce his death uh, on the air wow. right now. Well, so, you talk about multitasking. Man. Yeah. <clears throat> My goodness. So, and it was fortunate that I yeah. got that tweet yeah. during a commercial break. So I was actually able to pay attention. But uh, so Twitter both helps mm -hmm. and perhaps hurts. But for me, it's been more helpful. What What was uh, – I want to go back to the um, probably – Another Philadelphia story, sports no, story. No, that, no, that, that, no. That, The Philadelphia that people, story. Yeah. <laughs> where are we get, where are you go, where are you going here? I don't know. Um, well, let's talk about Delaware, and let's talk about a punter who became the Philadelphia fanatic. I first off went in my head was half foot Tom Dempsey, but he wasn't the punter. That was the uh, place kicker. No. University uh, of Delaware, Delaware Hens, uh, the, the punter became the Philly fanatic. I didn't know that. Yes. Wow. The, the, the mascot. Yeah. One of the very, I'm going to guess one of that and the San Diego chicken was the probably years, the, yeah. the early, they were, they were there. Yeah. What, what I want to try to do here is this is uh, I want to talk about our Stanley Cup run and okay. just the energy you had and how much fun that was. I'm in my car <laughs> and probably violating copyright things, but here's. Sit down if you need. The Nashville Predators are going to the Stanley Cup final. We're going to get a. With a hat trick from Colton Sissons. Outshot. We only had 18 shots, and six of those were goals. Yeah. Uh, that I was in my car just with goosebumps like I am right now. And oh, uh, I had, at that time as I was speaking, I had tears coming out of my eyes. Oh, it was brilliant. So what a joy it had to be. Just what were your thoughts on that call and then the Stanley Cup series moving forward? Well, if you recall, that was the number one center was out of the lineup already, Ryan Johansson. He had that compartmental syndrome in his leg which wasn't going to allow him to continue. So Colton Sissons, little-known Colton Sissons, stepped in and had the hat trick and helped them knock off the Ducks that night. You know, there are various, in, in rivalries in sports, there, some teams have the other's number. When it comes to the playoffs, the Predators have the Ducks' number. They won their first-ever playoff series against them in 2011, won that one in, uh, in 2017, and that's been so much fun to watch. And uh, my buddy Steve Carroll radio voice of the Ducks, who formerly was voice of the Sounds and 
he was voice of the uh, Nashville Knights here for a while. It, it was very nice to be able to look over at him and do this, you know, put the old thumb up. It was a great time. That was my Facebook post that day, speaking of the social networking, of listening to Pete Weber as everyone was watching it. I was having to uh, drive home. and uh, Not my favorite call, though. It's it's a very important one. Mm-hmm. But Mike Fisher's triple overtime goal okay. two years before to tie a series with San Jose because that was just unbelievable. Unbelie- and the fact was it was 105, 106 in the morning on a school night and nobody had left the building. Is that was is that probably your favorite era of Nashville Predators team? That so, I'm going to say this so far. Yeah, just the makeup of personalities yeah. and play and talent. Though know, that first team, those first teams, they battled, and so because they battled so well under Barry Trotz and won 28 games each of the first two years, they didn't get the draft choices most new teams were able to get. Mm-hmm. I, I had a uh, David Leguan, the, the yeah. first overall pick, right? Uh, 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 well, the first pick of the yes. of the Predators in 98. Yes. Do I have that right? Okay. You were uh, in Buffalo. You I, saw I was, yeah. And he's 19 years old. And uh, I don't know, a couple of years later, he gets called up, and I'm getting my hair cut uh, downtown. And uh, he walks in, and uh, we kind of know each other. But he, now he's 21, 22 years old. And, and uh, he walks by, and he says, hey, nice haircut. And I said, hey, Dave, nice nice goal last night. He goes, I didn't score. I go, exactly. <laughs> just, but I remember, was it Brian Burke? Maybe I don't have the name right. With the NHL, came yeah. in to do a media symposium yes. with us to ex- try to educate us on some Because he was then the director of hockey operations. And me. the one thing that stayed with me is he said, you will never enjoy interviewing any athlete as you will hockey players. And he says, this is why, because you wake up so early, you have to have dedicated parents. You have to get to a sheet of ice. They have gone through so much to get to the NHL that they appreciate it, that they're not spoiled, that they, and I I always remember that, that there were very few NHL players that weren't incredibly gracious. Pacarini is probably, you know, over and above. Yeah. Over over and above. But that part probably makes your job knowing that these are really nice young men, um, you know, they they appreciate it. That made the pandemic that much more difficult yeah. for us to survive because we were totally cut off from uh, regular interaction with the players. Uh, I mean, Todd Richards was hired as an assistant coach before the uh, 19 season and uh, or the 20 season. And I didn't get a chance to talk to this guy I had known for many years until we had the draft the following summer. Yeah, that total disconnect. You almost forgot about that. And there was a season that there was no hockey. Remember, mm-hmm. was it 0405? And so we don't, we don't have hockey. And also, 10 years into this, I remember talking to people at our TV station saying, I, I think we've got the Preds for about 10 years. And, and they'll... they'll you know, they may they may leave and and they were very very close to going to Ontario right they were, they were they were very close to leaving we were getting set to list our house yes so uh, and because my contract called for me to go with the team should it move and in that Jim Ball silly reshirts in motion Blackberry era uh, we were <laughs> extraordinarily close had not Commissioner Bettman really stepped in right now 
and he had every right to do so when Balsilli started marketing uh, Hamilton Predators tickets online using a logo without having any ownership. I remember rolling, uh, showing some video. I was doing morning news at the time, and and uh, there were there were people lined lined up outside for, to buy to buy season tickets. Yes. Um, let, let's fast forward to if we can, and we do have questions coming up. Um, this you you've seen this this down now with the with the Titans and the and the Predators. Um, you know we have Major League Soccer. I know you're a big baseball fan. Yes. Can we absorb? Or should we even try to absorb Major League Baseball? I think we should, because I can't believe how much this town has grown. And it's not just looking at the uh, the cranes across the uh, skyscape downtown and in the surrounding area, but I think that we should. And I think this is a fantastic uh, baseball community. Uh, I'm oftentimes in conversation with people about that. And I've lived through that uh, push for a baseball franchise in Buffalo. Mm-hmm which fell short in 1993, as it turned out to be the final date there. But that was, uh, I still see the National League Expansion Committee coming into our, our clubhouse in Buffalo, and there is Bill White, the, the National League president, or as Phil Rizzuto called him in the Yankees broadcast, hey, White! Uh, <laughs> and Senator Danforth, who I later came to know through uh, friends of mine in St. Louis, he's retired there, and I've gone to a few Cardinals games with him but he was the president of the uh, expansion committee at that point in time. I'd have to say, I, I'm not so sure they picked well with South Florida, but they sure did with Denver. They certainly did with Denver. And so I've, I've gone through all of this before. So, you know, to count upon another St. Louis and Yogi Berra, it's deja vu all over again for me. The Preds have done, uh, so in my family, in our house, we have Titan seasons tickets. We've been yep. there since day one. Before they built Adelphia, we went to Memphis when they were the Tennessee Oilers. We watched them play in Vanderbilt as the uh, Tennessee Oilers. Uh, that great game against the Bears toward the end of uh, Vanderbilt. Which was a home game for the Bears. Yes. One of Ryan Leaf's and, only victories as an NFL quarterback oh was the opener there. 13-7, the <laughs> mighty Chargers came in, and Ryan Leaf on a 95-degree day. and I think that was my first weekend here. Actually. It was. Yeah, it was brutal. Yeah. And so the, the, the Titans did it well. Uh, and really, to me, this is just me as a fan experience speaking. Uh, until 2000, and they went to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And then it's been just a steady descent ever since. The Preds have come in and taken over, and from fan services, from a game day experience, from the overall picture of what it's like to buy tickets and go to the game and enjoy yourself and such, uh, the Predators completely do it three times better than what the Titans do. There's not the crazy drunk interactions that you get in the stands. Even though it's hockey and you'd think it'd be worse, it's better. It's policed well. The It's just a great experience. And where this is leading to is uh, they've even upped the level here, I think, with the stadium series. Yeah. Uh, I watched that game from a hotel room out west, and Nashville looked so amazing. What do you think of what did you think about that night uh as they played in Nissan Stadium? And what do you think about that overall idea of the stadium series? I enjoyed that night immensely. I, I, and prior to that with the Winter Classic at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, so many Notre Dame memories came back to me there sure. working that game. And uh what the league has done under Gary Bettman to open up many new vistas for the league. 
playing these games outdoors has been absolutely incredible. And I think far more fans, I mean, who would have imagined roughly 25,000 Nashville fans going to Dallas to take in that game on New Year's Day afternoon. And then I could reminisce about that game for hours on end with you. I felt so sorry for the, the four ladies who were in charge of the horses carrying the various flags around the rink that day because when the fireworks went off at Uh-oh. the end of the national anthem, somehow or another, they managed to maintain control of their steeds, but their steeds were losing other control. Let's say you didn't want to be right behind them uh, for a while, but that, <laughs> that was incredible. But the, yeah, the, the stadium series game here, I thought was extraordinarily special. Uh, number of people might've frozen more than a little bit, but nobody focused on that afterward. They focused on the fan experience, which I think is great. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely tremendous. And even in that Stanley cup run, when all the fans were sitting and lined up in Broadway yeah. in the huge area behind the Hilton, well, you're a music guy. It was Woodstock for uh, hockey. It was absolutely tremendous. And has, have both of you have learned what am I doing coming to Nashville? It ended up being the best job in both your lives. Yeah. Yeah. Without question. And now I've lived here longer than I have any place else. And I was in Buffalo for 20 years. And and let's give a quick shout out to Claudia, your wife. She, uh, uh, you know, well, is, she's the reason we're here. Oh, because she's uh, not, Be- uh, her, her, her her parents. In, in her parents Knoxville, were living right? in Knoxville. Yeah. When this thing, this is really going to take me back in time. But I'm in my home office in Buffalo reading the Prodigy Sports News Service, and here it was in the spring of '97, saying the NHL is. Grant, going to grant franchises to Atlanta, Nashville, Columbus, Ohio, which happens to be Claudia's hometown, and Minneapolis, St. Paul for a return to the league. And uh, I called downstairs. I said, you know, wouldn't holidays be a lot easier if we were in Nashville? And uh, sure would. So the next day, I had located online. And remember how slow computers were then because it was all dialing. Yes. And then that handshake. Yeah. You have mail. You uh, have mail. I, uh, I then went and uh, located Craig Leopold and Racine, yeah. and I FedExed my material to him the very next day. To the owner. Yeah. The, the, the Jack Jackson or Johnson Wax guy, yeah. right? That, that's, yeah. yeah, the 95 Rain million fair. dollars. Yeah. yeah that, that had to, just for the right. That to was join the, the club. Yeah, to join the club. $95 million, which doesn't sound like a ton. Back then, that was, I thought, that's incredible. Incredible. Yeah. And they're not going to sell season tickets here. No, they sold 12,000 season 12, tickets. To get I was okay. part of it. Yeah. I, and I, <laughs> I kind of forgot I could go to the games for free, but I bought season tickets <laughs> and who did I sit next to? Sheila crisp. Yes. Which was just so much fun. Yep. That was great. All right, let's get to, we got some questions, right? Questions. Ask your questions. Time for questions. Questions. All right. Uh, rapid fire questions for you. Okay. okay. I'll try to give you rapid fire answers. You take no, we time. don't want to. Nobody, t- nobody on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Never we, works. we do nothing rapid. <laughs> nothing works. <laughs> nothing. All right. Um, what is one of your biggest pet peeves? Um, coaches who talk about having good success. I have yet to see a team that had bad success wanting to talk about it. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> That's right. It's like, it's like uh, he was descending down. Yeah. 
or very unique. That's right. I could go on and on. Or the other one that really does drive me crazy when someone says with so much time left in overtime, there's no time left in overtime. It's sudden death. I don't mean to be George Carlin here. That's but, right. Uh, That's right. That's right. It's 78 degrees as opposed to what? Kilowatts or, you know. That's a good point, Pete. I like that. Pete, uh, you've been in Nashville long enough. What's your favorite restaurant? Whoa. Um, and just you can just pull maybe what's your favorite restaurant this month or a good one you've been to lately. You know where I go a lot? And it, so I guess it's a go-to. Jack's. Oh, I love going to Jack's on Charlotte. Yeah, sure. Okay. Very good. Jack's Barbecue on Charlotte. And I think there's one downtown, too. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah. The, the the famous one with the pig, right? Yes, Is it. That, yes. Yeah. The, the, um, do you have any hidden talents? They're, they're very well hidden. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They, they're not, not much sunshine no, gets on no, those talents. <laughs> I mean, I certainly can't sing. And that would be proved if I were to try even try that. Though... Uh, Crispy and I were recorded, and I think it's in the team archives, singing from Hee Haw, Where Oh Where Are You Tonight, on the stage of the Ryman. Oh, my. Ooh. Okay. I'm going to look that up on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, in that in that storyline, do you have, what's a good broadcast horror story? Uh, for as long as we've all worked in this room in broadcasting, there's always one that was unplanned, you never thought of, and now you're knee-deep in it, and you got to dig yourself out. Well, there have been several times where either Crispy or I misspoke, and we broke up so badly we couldn't do anything. But I'd have to say that my worst was in my days with the Kings. We were in the playoffs with the Islanders at Long Island Coliseum, and I was I always did my post-game interviews outside the penalty box. As it turned out, my headset cord was so short, all I could do was look at the camera. I had already made my request for my post-game interviewee, so I hear skates coming up behind me. So I start introducing the guy who I had intended to interview, Billy Harris, who later would get traded to the Kings. And I turned around and said, well, Billy, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm Wayne Merrick. Okay. Okay, then. (laughs) Let's start here. (laughs) And now. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Did you have a nickname growing up? Yep, Bubba, which is the one Crispy has used. Now, that became a big drinking game here for Predators fans. And I, you talk about social media. Predators fans drink? I did not. Well, did I just see that on AP Alert? Yes. Oh, my. Breaking news. Every time Terry would call me Bubba, oh, they would take a drink. So he had was very heavy on the Bubbas in the first period one night. Yeah. And somebody tweeted to me, we please tell him to stop it? I'm hammered. <laughs> That's as good as Hi Bob from the New Heart series. Yes. And that was Sheila, who was uh-huh. actually no it wasn't. No, I'm just I'm just I'm just I'm just kidding. Now you were in the uh you were in the Robert Redford movie the I natural. wasn't in it, but you I were was in there the while crowd. They were shooting it. Yeah. You were in the crowd. So um, Oh, at Old War Memorial? Yep. Is that right? As as it's lovingly referred to in Buffalo as the old rock pile. How did that happen and what was it like? Well, number one, they were searching. um, It's crazy, the name. Melbourne was the producer. Uh, Not exactly from Australia, but he was the producer looking for something that approximated the old polo grounds in New York, which had been torn down in 1963-64. So the, they were looking. They tried Silver Stadium in Rochester, 70 miles from my house, but that didn't have the immenseness of it. So finally, uh, I told my buddy at the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle, 
have them come over and take a look at our ballpark. That's as close as I think as you possibly could get to it. They did. And so this was probably May of 83. And then they said, let's see if we can make a deal. So they made a deal with uh, Bob Rich, who was the club owner, and Mayor Griffin. And that's how it all happened. And so the climactic scene was, and the ballpark was in a neighborhood. And still is a neighborhood surrounding it. And uh, so when they had the uh, climactic break up the uh, light towers and so on, Roy Hobbs' home run, that was filmed between 3 and 5 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Mm. So at least it wasn't a school night. With those explosives going off multiple times during that period, uh, that was special. So, uh, yeah, that and I had double-header games that would get delayed so they could shoot daytime baseball until 9 p.m. at night. So I would do doubleheader games and walk out of the ballpark like at 1 o'clock in the morning. Where are you in the scene in the ballpark? I'm upstairs. I'm okay. Upstairs, yeah. uh, you know so much trivia. There's a reason why you're seven seven eighths. I mean, there's a reason why. I mean, this guy has <laughs> so much knowledge. Uh, bandwidth is. Uh, I'll okay. go with that. How's that? <laughs> what is your favorite trivia question? Something that you like to ask somebody that's just so quirky. So I have one that um, I'm going to ask Joe. I'll know. I you will know the answer because it's Notre Dame related. But I'm going to ask you that in a moment. <laughs> do, do you have do you have a do you have a like a fun fact that you just think is just man? I did not know that. See, the difficulty with that is you you know so many that you're trying to figure out just one. Well, I'm a diehard was a diehard Stan Musial fan. Mm-hmm. Stan Musial, born in Denora, Pennsylvania. There was another Hall of Famer <clears throat> born in Denora, Pennsylvania that came many years thereafter. As a matter of fact, he's on a popular commercial right now for DirecTV Stream. And Stan played high school sports with this gentleman's grandfather. Mm. Wow. I'm trying to think of the DirecTV commercial. Yeah. Who would that be? Uh, mm. That wouldn't be a Manning. Uh, There's a Randy Johnson. There is... Uh, Reggie Jackson? I don't know. Reggie's not in that. No. I know, I Big Poppy is in this commercial. Okay. And even A-Rod is in the commercial. So it's the Ken Griffey Jr. Ken oh. Griffey Jr. Also from yeah. Denora, Pennsylvania. I've seen Did that. not know Is that. his dad, Ken Griffey, born in, in Denora as well, but not a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And uh, so Ken Griffey Jr. and Stan Musial from the same... Source of talent. Did not drink the same city water. Did not did not know that. Uh, my, <laughs> we're not talking about Flint, Michigan. Uh, yes. right. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, Notre Dame broke UCLA's 88-game winning streak in 1974. Before that streak started, name the school that beat UCLA prior to that 88-game basketball winning streak, Joe. Western Kentucky University. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, John, I, I'm amazed every week, every time we do a show, John pulls, I'll bring up something, and then the stats come flowing from yeah. across the desk yeah. with John. He's brilliant on, well, that was Oakland, 1988, and the Eagles lost to the Raiders. And I'm like, okay, I didn't know Well, that. go Pete, on Pete, YouTube. Pete, Pete, Pete Weber, who is it? Andy. That's correct. Notre Dame has the bookend wins 
Austin Carr. Yes. Right? Yep. And then Adrian Dantley's team and John Shoemate. John Shoemate. Uh, Dwight Clay hit Dwight the Dwight Clay hit the winner. And and I was actually I was, at both games. It was my, my it was on the my twenty third birthday. I had a credential from the Peoria Journal Star to cover the game. And if you can go on the very fuzzy YouTube video, you can see me wearing a sweater vest oh, on I've the far seen side it. cross uh, court. Cool. January nineteenth, yes, nineteen seventy four. I'm ten years old, and I jumped down uh, into the crowd. And as a ten year old, that was not a good idea because I <laughs> immediately got got off the floor. So anyway, that was kind of my fun. Well, you can question. you can tell we're knee deep in uh, Notre Dame Irish history. I had to go there right here with this room, uh, Pete. I want to maybe just. Before we wrap up, hear your thoughts about it from folks who've maybe gone through it or just sometimes you need to hear things to uh, recognize what's ahead in your life. Uh, The date was February 6, 2014. And talk about that day. Uh, Your voice was almost silenced. Um, And it's just one of those days where the right people were in the right place and absolutely saved your life. Yes. So we're in St. Paul, Minnesota. I got up in the morning, go upstairs uh, to the workout room, uh, which is right above Craig Leopold's suite in the St. Paul Hotel, as it turns out. Got on the elliptical, and I just didn't have any steam. I had nothing going. And then all of a sudden, I had this uh, sensation of pins and needles across my jawline from ear to ear. Never experienced that before in my life. And uh, so I said, okay, I'm going to get cleaned up, go downstairs, get ready for our morning TV production meeting. But I decided to Google my symptom. Excuse me. And it said, get checked out as soon as you can. Oh, boy. (laughs) So, and my, later my cardiologist said, it's a good thing you didn't go on WebMD or I would have told you you were dead already. (laughs) So go downstairs to our production meeting. John Tackett, our director, quickly runs into the, hotel front desk and get some aspirin for me. So I douse those. Terry Crisp very delicately told me I looked like uh, feces uh, that morning. And so I went right across the street to the rink and our trainers um, and then the Minnesota Wild Trainers both looked after me and the Minnesota Wild Trainers called in the St. Paul Fire Department EMTs who were in the building and they gave me two EKGs and next thing I know I'm being wheeled out and going, just so you know, for ambulance charges after insurance, it's $400 a block. <laughs> so I got a bill for $800 to go two blocks to United Hospital in oh. St. Paul. Uh, jumped on the table in the cath lab. They took me straight in there. And the doctor said, where are you from? I go to Nashville. He goes, oh, yeah. Vanderbilt Medical School, class of 88. Glad to meet you. All right. <clears throat> and all with, lined up. Yeah. Within moments, uh, I'm being operated on and had uh, three stents put in. They... He, drew a sketch for me, which I still have somewhere, probably on my phone, that uh, says it was the Widowmaker that we were able to advance. Uh, We were in charge of it and in front of it. Uh, Otherwise, probably later that day, I would have had uh, the the big one, as they say. And uh, yes, very grateful. And I could have been any place. I could have been in a plane flying cross country with no access to immediate medical care. So I was in the right place at the right time. And uh, Channel 2 ran a picture of me from later that morning when Josh Cooper of the Tennessean and Mike Russo, then of the Minneapolis Star Tribune, came up to check in on me. And uh, they brought me whatever they could find at the hotel gift shop. 
and one was a balloon that says, it's a girl. <laughs> and that picture ran on Channel 2 that day from my cell phone. That's beautiful. Well, well Channel 2's motto back then was first, fast, accurate, or as I would say, first, fast, Eh, two so, out of three ain't bad. It's close. <laughs> That's great. We, well, we, Meatloaf we, only wanted we, one out of three, we, right? So. We, we want to have fun. Well, we're glad you're here. Um, Pete, you, you are you're part of the fabric. Um, there are people that are you know teenagers now that don't know hockey without uh, your voice and your personality. Uh, Nashville is a much better city, and, and the Predators are everything they are. Uh, in part because of your efforts, your passion, um, the way you're an ambassador for this city and for you the said sports. Ambassador, right? Am, am, <laughs> ambas- ambassador. You, it, it is just uh, you know, living legends are not uh, you know they, you don't want to say that very often. But but Joe, we this is an hour. I, I'm so thankful that that uh, that that Pete decided to stop by. We've gone an hour. Oh gosh, yes. And uh, Pete, this is the second time we've met. Uh, first time, uh, you came over and spoke to our men's group. I was in charge of the men's group at St. George's Episcopal Church several years ago. And Nat Harden, who still works for the Preds, yeah. uh, I called Nat, was my old neighbor. I said, Nat, love to get Pete Weber. Our, our, just, our men would love to hear his story. He's just such a great communicator. So Nat checked it out and goes, here's his number. And I'm like, what do you mean? You don't have to call some lackey or the third or fourth assistant. Who's agent? Yeah. Who's the agent here? And so I called second ring. Hello, and I recognized the voice immediately. And I was like, Pete. Yeah, See, yeah. nowadays because everybody is calling me to want to know if I want to sell my house, I'm not answering unknown numbers. <laughs> it is strange, isn't it? Well, oh. there's just people who are concerned about your car's warranty. Yes, <laughs> so they're very <laughs> concerned about you. But now they're more concerned about yeah. my house. I do believe. So Pete was uh, incredibly gracious. I gave him a date, and he said, "Let me check." it out and then got right back to me and did it we had a packed house and uh you know the crowd wasn't leaving so uh <laughs> they wrote on every pete stood for every question and uh that was the season what was so funny was the next day mike fisher uh, i think was going to announce his retirement or for whether he was going to turn and your call was your storyline was maybe it was that day that it had happened your storyline was i really think he's going to come back for one more season and it maybe was 8 hours later that mike fisher announced his retirement so your storyline was see what i know and i got the best seat in the house so uh you however you, had yeah. we done it at a different point in time i would have said i thought pecorini's going to come back for one more year oh so that's <laughs> You, <laughs> I lucked out for you. <laughs> <laughs> so dialed in. Well, let's leave with this then. Um, a season that started very well, very promising. Um, it was disappointing, quite frankly. And, oh, yeah. and, and you could kind of feel the vibe of, of being swept. Like this was the golf clubs, the tee times were being made a week out. It just, it felt that palatable. Um, moving forward, this program with with David Poyle, who's been the only general manager this this franchise has known. Um, what 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 does the next three to five? Is it is it a is it a pseudo rebuild? Does it stay with these guys? What what's that look like? It all hinges on does number nine resign? Yeah. Otherwise, if he doesn't, I think they'll have to do something a little bit more serious mm-hmm. in terms of the restructuring of the team. And might I tell you a number nine story? <clears throat> we are in Arizona in January, and we are still doing daily COVID tests. I get a call that morning that I tested positive, 
And I'm saying, oh, I'm going, this is the end of the road trip. I'm going to have to rent a car and drive some 24 hours back to Nashville to get back home. Well, later on, Philip tested positive. So it wasn't because of me, but it was because of Philip. They sent a jet out to pick us up and bring us back home. So I'm tied in with Philip. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> That's pretty good. What's that situation like? Do you think this is going to work out? I mean, you got to have a guy like Forsberg uh, to be a centerpiece to make that next move that John's talking about. I'm thinking that he's going to want to stay here. We've, we've spent a lot of time, and I hope this comes forward like the Mike Fisher thing, but we spent a lot of time uh, during the season uh, with his parents when they come to town. And uh, they love it here. Now, I know Philip has to as well. And with the flat cap around the league, yes, some teams will be able to find some room for him. But for the Predators, it might only involve adding $2, 3000000 million over what he had made this last year to sign him. So, And they have that room. You know, the quality of life, and if we could go on and on about this, but when the Oilers moved here, all the players were complaining that, that you know, I'm a – I'm an athlete in Houston. I, you know, I'm single. I can run this town and I'm moving to Nashville. Well, I remember Eddie George telling me, I, I will never live in Nashville. I will, I, I, after my playing days, I'm going to LA, Chicago, Los Angeles. They all live here. Yeah. And it's same with the predators and the word gets out, doesn't it? With the free agency. I think of Paul Korea. I think of people that just, I mean, Paul Korea recruited the predators. (laughs) Yeah. So, so it, it, there, there is a quality of life issue here that, that I hope Nine, you know, thinks about. All right, so look, we could go on and on, but I want to end on a, another trivia question. But Pete will tell me whether I have this correct or whether he remembers this. He remembers everything. Of course. The Predators, the Nashville team, needs a nickname. And I think it was thrown out to the fans. And among the options, the finalists... Tell me if I have this right. Ice Tigers, Edge, which was a commercial tie-in with the Leopold family, and they had the Edge shaving cream pole in the deck yeah. at the time, and Predators. I, I, I don't know if I have that right. Does that that sound- sounds right to me? Now that was before I got here, so that was in the spring. Okay. okay. <clears throat> before and I got here again in September of uh, of ninety eight, but <clears throat> I'm trying to remember if there was a fourth. Um, I think Ice Tigers. Uh, the Edge was was uh, that was copyright whatever summarily dismissed by the NHL. What, oh, was it? Yeah, because and it would have been that was one of those quirky times when you had nicknames that didn't end in S. Yes, that was very you know. So that would have been kind of the Nashville Edge. I do like, by the way, that they went with the city and they didn't go with the state and the state yeah. with Tennessee Titans. I always wanted Nashville so that you would see that on a lower ticker right. you know, or scoreboard like that. So yeah, but the predators, because of finding that saber tooth tiger bones underneath the, the Am South, building, Am South the building downtown in 1971. And they actually had the announcing of the predators name in front of that, uh, tr- case of the predators, yes. you know, because we yes. wanted to to figure out why why are there why are we named the predators? Joe, did that remotely interest you at all? Because <laughs> you, you glossed over on this. <laughs> um, I remember that time, and it was just one of those like when the Titans just changed their 
uniforms yeah. from the white to the blue. People are like, oh, this is horrible. It's not. But then you look at the blue now compared to that white, and it does look like the, the appropriate change. Um, a, I don't know the answer to the trivia question you're going for, but uh, or was there one? Well, I think they yeah. settled on Predators. And the Predators, um, which maybe was another question I wanted to ask. Do you have a favorite era, a uniform, back from 98 when they had those kind of blue ones uh, to— I can tell you my least favorite. Which ones? The mustards. The mustards, yeah. yeah. And yeah. that for the players, too. Because to produce that color effect, it took two layers of fabric. And oh, so they those were, were thick. Hot. Yes. They were very. So I think that provoked Pete Rogers, the equipment manager. He had to buy another set of glove dryers because the guy's sweat was rolling down into their gloves. Oh. And they had to get the extra capacity. For drying out their gloves. My favorite was that Dallas Stadium series, the white with the Nashville. Oh, that was good. Predators yeah. and cursive. Yeah. That yeah. is the most classic, beautiful, popping yeah. look in uniform. I thought a that, lot of I, people really like that. Yeah, yes. I love that one. That looks yeah. that looked absolutely fabulous. And then one more, uh, I just can keep poking these out. The catfish <laughs> on the ice. How did that start in Nashville? <clears throat> well, because our rivals were Detroit. And Detroit, going back to the early 50s. The Cusimano brothers had a fish market in Detroit. And at that time when the Red Wings were dominating the league back then and winning like seven straight, what we would call now president's trophies, you had to win two playoff series to win the cup. So the Cusimano said, hey, how about an octopus? Eight, I got to make sure I emphasize this, tentacles on the (laughs) octopus. So they would throw an octopus on the ice. Well, the Preds said, well, we better find some sort of... uh, fishy equivalent for us, and it turned out to be catfish. Now, after that tragedy that happened in Columbus where the young lady was hit by a puck in the stands and then died a couple of days later, the NHL mandated these screens behind the two ends. But we had one fan, wasn't prepared with that, brought in his catfish, threw it, and he thought it was going to go up right behind the goaltender. Instead, it splatted right in a couple's seat, right behind the glass. So since then, we have educated the people. We try to do catfish 101 as to where it's safe. Where it's safe to heave it. it, My my always uh, question is watching is, how did they get it in? And so it's hidden under their coats. You know, we wear, even in the heat, we're wearing our hockey uniforms because the arena is generally cold because of the ice. You better be prepared for that. And, uh, but... What's uh, I I don't want to know how that catfish Jake gets. Usually that it just, is it uh, is uh, taped to their body. Yeah, uh-huh. or inside the body. Yeah, there's duct tape do involved. They throw, do they they threw people out at first? Now is that acceptable? Can Except you? Wolfie, they didn't throw Wolfie out. No. If you remember, it. I do remember. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got yeah, hold Wolfies. That's right. Yeah. So it's just kind of turned the other way. Maybe when somebody yeah. heaves the catfish out on the now ice. the on the road once and in Detroit, there was a fan that couldn't wait who'd come up. These were, and really it was kind of a telltale thing. He was wearing a yellow rain slicker. And it's one of those games in Detroit where things are not going well. I think we're down 4 nothing or 5 nothing in the third period. And he's been sitting with this smelly catfish on his person all game long. So he just walks down almost right in front of Crispy and me behind the penalty box. And he doesn't care at that point in time if he gets thrown out. He just throws it out there, turns around and says, come on, take me out of here. Yeah. This, is, this, this game has been painful. My goodness. What's uh what's what's next for you? Do you feel 
could you just keep going on and on <laughs> with this? It's a tough road. It's a tough season. 80-plus games. I mean, you know, here we are hitting June, and the playoffs are still rolling on. It's yeah. a brutal season. But it's a fun season. I mean, it's it's what drives me. I mean, Claudia can't understand why I'm still downstairs watching hockey at night <laughs> with the following up playoff games. You're out of it. I said, no, I'm not. I am into. I'm invested in this. I want to see who can do it and how and why they're able to do it. So, yes, I now they talked to me about my contract uh, two, three years ago, and they said, we want you to do this as long as you want to do it. So how long do you want to go? And I said, I can't see any more than another 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, I don't want to be like Harry Callis, though. Or maybe I do. Harry Callis, one of your heroes from Philadelphia announcing days, he uh, was carried out of the broadcast booth in Washington having died of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. But Harry was a, his son I knew from minor league baseball. And Harry then would come in to do uh, NFL games in Buffalo for Westwood One. <clears throat> I finished one segment of my pregame show, and I hear the door open behind me in my broadcast booth. And all of a sudden I hear this, Hey, Pete, where's the bathroom around here? <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, of course. But that was Harry Callis. Well, you have earned the right to call your own shots, and, and you'll know, but there is no slowing down for Pete Weber. Twenty. Do you consider it for 24 years, 25 years? 20, uh, this will be 25, I this think. This will be 25. Next year. Yeah. yeah. So, so well, congratulations. As I said, Nashville With one is, season missed because of well, the Well, because of the, the, the lockout. But uh, it's been a, a great pleasure, and you've been so dear to me uh, through the years with, with Notre Dame conversations. Uh, we didn't really get into a whole lot of that, but we, 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 uh, maybe, maybe there's a part two. If we, Would love if it. we get, if we get re-upped by all our sponsors, yes, uh, from we, the global we, network, JTG international headquarters. Well, might I tell you what yeah. happened to me this last weekend? We were at a cookout and somebody asked me, who's your favorite all time Notre Dame coach? And I said, it's gotta be era without any question. It's and it. yeah. And so they said, well, guess what? <laughs> I have this book that Era autographed. I'd like to give it to you. The Era of Era? Yeah. Is, is that the book? Oh, no, no. It's the one where the Leahy, Rockney, okay. Arsegian, yeah, and yeah. Holtz. Yeah. Good, good, good stuff. Um, th this is going to air after the fact, but uh, next week um, I am going to be participating in the Notre Dame football fantasy camp. I don't know if you know that. Yes, I think I saw you post that. Yes. It's, it's, it's going to be... Uh, pathetic. <laughs> it's gonna be. As John said, he just wants to throw one more interception. That's all I want. That's that, that's all I want. So anyway, it'll, he's the it'll quarterback. John's going to be the quarterback. It's, well, that well, would be like my dad, who was a Notre Dame grad too, always could not handle Terry Hanready because he thought he turned the ball over too many times. Yeah, no, yeah, number five. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, thanks again for doing this. Really appreciate it. That wraps it up for second cup of Joe. And John! It's the second cup of Joe and John as their guests expound on any and all topics within the realm of decency. Want to be a sponsor? Let a TV and radio guy help build your business. Email the show, second cup of Joe and John at gmail.com. Now, hold on tight and grab another second cup of Joe and John.